Welcome to Amidala Way, a new Star Wars podcast aimed for those fans that are rediscovering Star Wars or even finding Star Wars for the first time. Please join us on this journey to rediscovering Star Wars. Before we get started, I wanted to take care of a few housekeeping things. First of all, we have a Twitter. Um, we're just at Amidala Way on Twitter, so please go give us a follow, like some tweets. Hopefully, we'll be posting updates about when new episodes drop, or other related content on there. So please go give that a follow. And secondly, I'd just like to announce our new series that are coming to Amidala Way. So the first one is a character profile series where we dive into many different characters across the Star Wars universe. going to start off with some of the main characters like Padme, Luke, Leia, Anakin, and maybe as the series progresses going a little deeper. Our second series will be the Rediscovery series, which is the basis of the Amidala Way podcast, where we are rediscovering or discovering for the first time our love for Star Wars. Hopefully we'll be kicking that off sometime next week. And then finally will be the Try Something New series. So this is where we dive more into Star Wars books, Star Wars comics, or Star Wars lore, just the avenues of Star Wars content that really are outside the main theatrical or TV releases. So hopefully you all are excited about these series like I am and can't wait to get started. Kicking off the character profile series, it's only right to start with our namesake, Padme Amidala. So what we're going to be doing is talking about pretty much her entire life because it's fairly well documented within the Star Wars universe. So starting with her early life, her time as a queen, her transition to senator, as well as her character arcs through the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. Hopefully discussing things that we hope to see in the future from Padme, whether that be more books or spinoffs. And yeah, so let's get started. Padme's early life is probably the least documented time we have of Padme. However, through some of the E.K. Johnson books that have come out in recent years, as well as some deleted scenes from Attack of the Clones, we do meet her parents and her sister. Her parents are Rui and Jobal Nabiri, and her sister Sola also plays somewhat of a major role in the books, really questioning her desire to be in politics. And it shows that her parents, while supportive, were always a little worried about her, worried that her independence would be the downfall of her, or her sister worried that she wouldn't find love because she was so dedicated to serving others, which all of these are not really flaws of the character, but it really makes us see how from her early life, even within her family situation, they noticed her desire to serve others and her desire to give all of herself to someone and to a cause So whenever she joined the youth legislative program at eight years old and was elected queen at only 14, it really shows how from the very beginning she had these character traits that allowed her the drive and the dedication to serve in such a prominent role. And it really shaped her policies as a leader in the To fully understand Padme's life, it's really important to understand the Naboo 
political system. I think within the movies, it's super overlooked and you're just supposed to accept that a queen is elected as a child and then has to represent an entire planet to a galaxy-wide Senate, which thinking of a 14-year-old that I know would be tragic trying to lead an entire planet. But understanding that Naboo and its culture is really a culture of fostering children and ideas from such a young age that almost every child on Naboo is a prodigy. I think it's a little hard to wrap our head around that, that they are just somehow more intellectually or artistically gifted than children elsewhere in the galaxy. But assuming that Padme was a child political prodigy makes more sense as to why she would have been elected queen at 14 and handed this mantle of responsibility that would be too much for pretty much anyone to handle on their own. So most of the information we have about Padme and her politics and her time as queen come either from the E.K. Johnson novel Queen's Peril or The Phantom Menace, which somewhat overlap. But from this, we learn a lot more about Padme's personal politics and her motivations and why she made the decision she made and how she plans out her reign from the very beginning. And so if you're wondering where all of these sources come from and where I'm getting this, it's from the Queen's Peril E.K. Johnson novel. And so the very first section of the book, we get to see how the previous queen took more of an isolationist approach. She really blocked Naboo off from other planets in their sector and really focused on Naboo only, which is something that Padme campaigned against and was credited to one of the reasons she was elected. She was much more open, much more inviting. She wanted to partner with these other planets and bring them in and form a more cohesive system so where everyone could benefit. And I think from the very beginning, this shows how she was very collaborative, very much wanted to have a team that worked together, that supported each other, and could end up being better for it on the whole. I think this is a common theme that you see throughout Padme's arc, both as a queen during the Clone Wars and later, is while she is a very isolated person in her role and has a hard time trusting others, She's constantly in this state of searching for trust and searching for this camaraderie and always seeing the good in people. I think if we had to describe a fatal flaw of Padme Amidala, ironically, it would be that she always sees good in people, which we'll get to later. But I think it's a very admirable quality and a very idealistic quality that is often lacking, especially in like our world, our outside of the Star Wars world, we see so much cynicism and so much anti-collaboration. And Padme is just a figure that runs completely opposite to that. And she really makes you see the bright spots and makes you see how politics doesn't have to be all evil and me against you or this idea against that idea. It's We each bring something unique to the table. And when we do that, we all end up better because of it. And I think that really is shown through her handmaidens. I personally have always loved Padme's handmaidens. They were 
nameless figures in The Phantom Menace, but being a young girl, I loved the bright flame-colored robes, and I remember my dad telling me that they were actually like secret assassins and ninjas, and that always drew me into their characters, even though they were nameless for most of my childhood. It isn't until you read the E.K. Johnson novels that you realize each of these handmaidens had not only a personality and an identity, but a purpose in why they were with Padme. So I just want to take a second and explain to you who the handmaidens were if you haven't read the novels, just so that we're all on the same page. So first up, we have Sabe. Sabe is the only real handmaiden that you get a good look at during The Phantom Menace because she is the queen's main decoy. Sabe has the closest personal likeness to the queen. She was the first handmaiden recruited by Captain Panaka, and she really serves as Padme's closest confidant, closest likeness, closest everything, so that when they do have to switch to protect Padme, she is the one putting herself in danger and risking her life to make sure that Padme can live on and continue her duties as queen. And Sabe is such an exciting character because we never really got to see her before, but these books really highlight her in a way that I feel like they might be setting her up for future Star Wars content. We can discuss that later in the episode, but Sabe is definitely one to watch out for. The other handmaidens, Yane, Erte, Sashe, and Rabe, each have a unique skill. So Yane was a fabric maker, very good at spying and paying attention to the little details. Erte was an artist and an engineer who helped redesign Padme's clothing and headdresses so that they could be more protective, more lightweight. And Rabe also fulfilled this. She was more of the con artist, helped with the deception of the handmaidens. And then lastly, there's Sashe. She was the youngest handmaiden, only 12 years old when she entered Padme's service, which is so impressive. But she was much quieter, much more observant. She could pick out things about people via body language or small micro movements. And that really provided all of them with the little bit of intel around the people surrounding them that they couldn't always see. So the handmaidens would be looking the directions that Padme couldn't look when she was queen or being paying attention to the side conversations that they could overhear while they were being overlooked. And this all came together and they formed a cohesive team, each person making the other better and all while making sure Padme knew more, saw more, and understood more about what was happening in every room she was in, which I find so impressive. I think it would be such an interesting situation to be in, to be in such a tight-knit community when there is a 100% trust and you are all pretty much outsmarting every person in the room because you formed this collective mind. And while we don't get to see these wonderful handmaidens highlighted in the theatrical releases. We only get brief mentions of them in The Phantom Menace. This backstory is what makes me love Star Wars and makes me understand that there is a deep and rich background to every character that you see 
on the screen, even if in their first appearance, they're literally uncredited. Handmaiden 1, Handmaiden 2 turns into Sabe and Yane, who follow Padme around the galaxy and make sure that everything goes according to plan. And I think it just really helps identify the character of Padme Amidala and really distinctively separates her from Padme Nibiri, who was Padme before she was elected. I think, especially in these books, there's a clear definition between Padme and Amidala. This group of girls collectively form Amidala. The idea of Amidala is the voice, is the clothes, is the actions, which is not Padme. Padme can embody that, and she is the embodiment of that. But I think with the help of her handmaidens, Amidala becomes her own separate entity. And that's something that I find very compelling and really makes the Naboo election system, Naboo politics, planetary politics of this time makes so much more sense because that's one of the major criticisms of Padme and the Phantom Menace is she's too robotic. She is too uncaring, has some very strange dialogue. And while that is all marginally true, understanding why they have one voice that all the handmaidens can do, why they wear excessive makeup so that they can all look the same, why there are large dresses that are have built-in protections from blasters is so interesting and makes the character of Padme so much more understandable. And it really pushes you to look at her in a different light and really see her for the strong, intelligent woman that she is and how she brings people into her close-knit community that make her better. And I think that despite the wonderful group that she has formed around her, one person she should have never let in that group would have been Palpatine. And if you've ever seen Star Wars before, you know that Palpatine causes trouble pretty much on every front. And Padme falls victim to Palpatine. She's one of Palpatine's very first victims that we see in the theatrical movies. From the very first moment they meet, he is manipulating her. He tricks her into calling for a vote of no confidence in the current chancellor to set him up to be chancellor. If that moment would have never happened, nothing else would have happened in the entire Star Wars saga. So we really can see Padme as a strong, independent woman, but also as a pawn of Palpatine and how this gets the best of her in the end, which is part of the tragedy that is Padme and even Anakin because he follows a similar path. Now moving beyond Padme as a queen through the Queen's Shadow book by E.K. Johnson, we are able to witness the transition that Padme went through from queen to senator. Whereas in the theatrical movies, it jumps straight from the Phantom Menace where she's the ruler of the planet to Attack of the Clones, where she's a relatively established senator. She's been in the Senate for about six years by the time of Attack of the Clones. So she's just become an entirely new character and we never see why. And that's something that I felt was always missing. And the Queen's Shadow book really highlights this. It starts on her last few weeks as queen, 
shows her appointment to senator and her move to Coruscant. And I think that what we see in this book, which I personally enjoyed more even than the Queen's Peril book, is how Padme is constantly evolving as a character. She's never static. And I think that's something that is often overlooked because everyone likes to think that she's a damsel in distress and she gets saved and then ends up dying for her love. I think that is a totally an incomplete view of who Padme Amidala is. She is a constantly changing, ever-growing character who within her own right is completely amazing and is often overlooked and overshadowed by her male co-stars. And so in Queen's Shadow, we're able to see how her undying love and protection for Naboo and how she constantly would give anything to serve Naboo, to serve their sector, actually comes back to bite her. As someone who championed anti-isolationist policies on Naboo and brought these planets back together, when she goes to the Senate, she's quickly accused of caring for Naboo too much and how she couldn't see the Republic as a whole and work for the Republic on a grander scale, which is a criticism she receives from Bail Organa and Mon Mothma, which instantly takes her back because never before has she been accused of such things. And in her heart, it's very much against who she is to be an isolationist. But she also loves Naboo dearly and just spent four years of her life practically putting it at risk every day to protect it. So I think this really shows how she went from a very small scale, albeit it was an entire planet, but in the grand scheme of things, it was a small scale role to thrust into the galaxy-wide politics. And she couldn't live by the same principles that she did on Naboo. We see this through her struggling with her decoys, having to get new handmaidens, and trying to recreate the situation that she had on Naboo, now on Coruscant. And quickly it becomes apparent that the same system can't work here. The same system that protected her, gave her trust, and gave her family in her isolated life as queen wouldn't work the same way now as senator. And so what I really love about this book is it highlights how she adapts things that she learned as a younger girl on Naboo to fit her more mature lifestyle that she has. Things such as she still has handmaidens, and they still do the decoy maneuver, but it's done a little differently because there's not the elaborate clothing and elaborate makeup, and they're used more as spies. I, I don't really know if that's the right word, but bringing her information, protecting her from the Net news rather than actual body doubles. And she has to continue to be herself and put herself out there visibly for the world in a way she hasn't before. And it really makes her grow, makes her stronger, makes her more sure of herself. Because in the past, she felt might have felt like she was hiding a bit, always unable to fully express herself, which being a senator now allows her that freedom. And I think we really see that through how timid she was at her first few weeks as senator, constantly hiding behind her friend Nina Bonteri or Mon Mothma, and allowing them to put forward bills and voting 
but never being the one to speak. And what we see by the end of the novel is Padme really finds her voice. She finds the person she wants to be. And while she will always be Padme Amidala, the Amidala character has become something new to her. It's become more of her own identity that she can take ownership in. And we see that when she presents her first bill to the Senate and it is supportive and we see her grow in confidence and we can only assume that for the next five years, before we see her again in the Attack of the Clones, that these confidence boosters and these moments that made her feel sure of herself only got stronger because by the time we see her in Attack of the Clones, she's a strong-minded senator, not afraid to go to Palpatine and say what she needs. And just seeing Padme's character arc up until this point, it really shows us how much she has grown, how much she has changed from her first appearance. And I think it really is sad that these happened in books rather than the movies. And while the movies are not Padme's story, Padme's story adds so much more to the movies and adds so much more depth to all of these characters. And it really sets up a lot for her relationship with Anakin Skywalker and the downfall of the galaxy in turn. So now that we've got her political history behind us, I think it's time to dive into what we've all been waiting for, the love story. Padme Amidala and Anakin Skywalker's love story is perhaps the most important moment in Star Wars, but also has some of the most cringeworthy moments in all of Star Wars as well. I think, first of all, it's important to acknowledge that without this romance, nothing in Star Wars would have ever happened. I mean, potentially Anakin could have had another love interest or had another attachment fall into the dark side, but Padme and Anakin's relationship sets up the entire original trilogy and the rest of the prequel trilogy. And I think it's important to understand these characters for who they were before they met each other and look at how that influenced their love story. So we've been talking a lot about Padme. And so we know how isolated she was and how she only trusted a very close group of people, not only to know her identity, but to trust with her politics and had many attempts on her life before she even met Anakin. And so it's understandable to realize that she was an emotionally isolated person. And on the other hand, Anakin was a small child and very in touch with his emotions, very aware of the circumstance that he was in and had the constant desire to leave that. And he was a very emotional child, worried about what people thought about him when he asked Qui-Gon he didn't want to be a problem or his emotional goodbye with his mother on tattooing. And so we see him first as a very emotional person and that is when Padme and Anakin meet, is only a few months after Padme entered this situation where she had to become so emotionally isolated, and she met a boy so in touch with his emotions, it reminded her of that childlike innocence that she had quickly abandoned. And I think she saw a lot of what she desired for herself and her happiness in Anakin, and then after the events of The Phantom Menace, when we see them again in Attack of the Clones, 
Padme has come to terms with her role in the galaxy and has become much better at managing her isolated state, whereas Anakin, the once very emotional young boy, for 10 years has been in a situation where the Jedi have told him you cannot have attachments, you need to be mindful of your thoughts, and become very emotionally flat, having very little reaction, not taking much to heart, which as someone who was so desired to be a Jedi, he was willing to do, but he also started to feel that sense of isolation that Padme had felt in her first few years as queen. So I think one of the reasons they really connect is they've had a very similar experience of being in situations where to protect themselves and to protect others, they had to become very emotionally isolated. They had to hold everything in. They couldn't express their feelings. They always had to be stoic and follow the rules. And it was a very tough existence to constantly have these walls up. So when they got thrown into the situation where they went back to Naboo, stayed in the beautiful lake country, and were finally able to relax and take kind of a giant calming breath, they realized that that is what unified them. That's what brought them together with these shared experiences. And I think that that's what people miss in the romance montages of Attack of the Clones is this is the first time these characters have taken a breath, taken a day off in 10 years, essentially, constantly working, constantly training, constantly fighting against the corruption and the evil in the universe. So it only makes sense that the first moment you get to take a breath and look at the world around you, when you see someone who's in the same position as you, of course you're going to fall in love. And of course you're going to notice your own self in their reflection and they in yours and really come to understand each other on a deeper level than they had with any other human being in their galaxy. And I think that of course there are the cringy moments. Everyone loves to quote the, I don't like sand or we'd be living a lie dialogue moments. They are not the most eloquent. They are not Pride and Prejudice. They are not these beautiful, heart-wrenching monologues of period pieces. But what they are is they are honest words from some teenagers who have felt isolated their entire life, have never had the experience of flirting, and are constantly very aware of this new situation they're in. So I think while the dialogue is cringy, it makes sense for these characters. Anakin would not have any idea how to flirt with a girl. He's just going to say the first thing that comes to his mind because he's a boy and he wants to have her like him and he's nervous and awkward and she's puts on this persona that she's this strong, independent woman, but for the first time she's craving that companionship with someone who so deeply understands her without even realizing it. And so the awkwardness and the cringe and the cheesy moments make sense. And I think it really adds to the entire storyline and really is the major catalyst for all future events in Star Wars. Like I said, without this romance, there would be no Luke and Leia. Without this romance, there would be no Darth Vader. So take it out with all the cheesy moments. If you hate it, 
that's fine. I personally think that it makes sense for their characters and it's very endearing to me. So I love it. And that's why the image of them in the Lake Country is in the logo of this podcast. So those are my feelings on the romance. And so taking it a step back, we're going to talk about her Clone Wars arcs a bit. Just as Padme and Anakin's relationship started to take off, it was immediately eclipsed by the Clone Wars. Almost instantly, their lives were thrust into this galactic conflict between people that Padme used to see as friends and her new friends and her family and the Jedi and the Senate. And they got caught in this weird political limbo where there seemed very apparent a good side and a bad side but more than anyone else I think Padme saw both sides I think you see this a lot in the Clone Wars the animated show episodes as well as a bit in Revenge of the Sith there's a few moments that I'll point out but I think her experience in the Senate and her empathy towards others really highlights how She never lost her optimism and her desire to do good that she had as a young senator and a queen. And it really shows how amidst all of the craziness, amidst the politics and everything, she still tends to find the good in everyone. And while obviously we see... Padme as a wonderful warrior, wonderfully able to take care of herself in the Battle of Geonosis and how quickly she is to see the opposing side of the war. And then in the Clone Wars show, we see her very much aligned with the Jedi, understandably. We're really able to get the view of the war in the gray area best through Padme and even a little bit of Ahsoka's perspective. Now, this podcast isn't about Ahsoka. I'd love to do one about her soon. But as a character, Padme provided a window into the gray area of the Clone Wars. While she's in very few episodes overall, whenever she is on screen, she provides insight that no other character could. She communicates with Anakin, reminds him of his humanity, reminds him of the calm and is really the breath of fresh air that he needs as a break from the war. But she also goes on her own adventures. And whenever she travels to visit her old friend Mina Bonteri and shows Ahsoka that separatists are not all evil droids. Like there are humans and there are aliens that are on their side. And it's, it gives the window to why is the war even being fought? And I think Padme as Palpatine's original pawn, maybe not his first pawn, but a pawn in Palpatine's plans, is actually one of the first people to notice the cracks in it. She is the one who starts to realize, why are we fighting this war? Why are we doing this? Why are we basically committing war crimes and genocide on thousands of planets? Like, What are they even fighting for? And I think that becomes comes to its head in Revenge of the Sith when she sits down with Anakin and says, what are we even fighting for? And he accuses her of sounding like a separatist. And I think 
she isn't acting like a separatist or isn't thinking about switching to the other side, I think what that moment highlights is Padme has an understanding of how people act and why people act in a way that no one else could see. She noticed people were being manipulated. She noticed that things weren't always as they seemed and that there was some larger power behind everything. And if only she could have realized sooner who that power was, maybe she would have had the position both in the Senate and in Anakin's life to do something about it. Very much my least favorite part of Padme's entire character arc is the last two weeks of her life, or however long the events of Revenge of the Sith took place in. I think throughout The Phantom Menace, the books, Attack of the Clones, The Clone Wars, Padme showed us how she was a dynamic, everly growing and understanding character who provided motivations for both Anakin and herself in the Senate and really was a major player in many fronts of this war and how she provided the insight into those gray areas. Her role in Revenge of the Sith felt very lacking to me. She becomes the damsel in distress character that I don't think she ever was and ever should have been. And while, yes, I understand she was pregnant, she couldn't be out on the front lines or going on crazy adventures, um, I think it wasn't handled in the most delicate way to continue to highlight her as the strong, independent, powerful woman that she had been shown. I think there are good moments. I think her, this is how Liberty dies, quote, is a glimpse of the old Padme that we saw. And I think that it shows the toxicity in Anakin and Padme's relationship, but not well enough to fully believe it, which is why I think the Clone Wars TV show provides a little more of that conflict and it provides a little bit more of reasoning behind why Anakin was so possessive and so worried and how often this led to some manipulation. But overall, their struggles as a married couple and their struggles against Palpatine, I feel like is a good story, but shouldn't provide the level of motivation that it did to these characters. And one of my biggest complaints about the entire Star Wars universe is Padme's death. And while everyone knows George Lucas said she died of sadness, I refuse to believe that, call it headcanon or whatever, but I will swear by the idea that I think Palpatine took Padme's life force, the life force of his favorite and first pawn, to keep his checkmate of the universe, which was Vader. He knew, he orchestrated pretty much everything, but what he didn't orchestrate was Padme and Anakin's relationship. That was something that formed organically on its own, and while he learned about it and began to take advantage of it, it was something he couldn't control. It was something that he knew would always be a roadblock to his controlling Anakin and Vader. So in order to address that, he had to take Padme out of the equation. And by doing that, he killed her to save Anakin, who should not have survived his burns and his fight on Mustafar with Obi-Wan. I will defend that until the day I die, 
And I think it really shows how Padme was so strong. She was the one person that Palpatine couldn't really control. Well, yes, he did manipulate her throughout her career as queen and senator. There was always a rebellious streak within her that kept her from being fully controlled. And I think she translated that and gave a bit of that to Anakin with, through their connection. So through Padme, Anakin could never be fully controlled because his allegiance and his love would always be to Padme. And so without removing her from the situation, Pad- Palpatine could have never gained the power that he did. But little to his knowledge, yet again, something he couldn't control, Luke and Leia were born and ultimately set up his demise in Return of the Jedi. Everything that happens after Return of the Jedi with Palpatine is a little questionable, but in the end, it's Padme, in a weird roundabout way, that played a very large role in Palpatine's demise. It was the love for her and her child and her husband that defeated Palpatine, and I find that a beautiful ending to the circle of her, and it's so much better than saying she died of sadness. So to wrap up today's episode, I think it's just important for us to notice that Padme is not the damsel in distress that many people have spent years believing she was. She was a strong-minded, strong-willed woman who got caught up in a relationship that was hard to navigate in the middle of the war, but her inability to be completely manipulated provided the motivation and the growth needed in other characters to eventually conquer everything. And while we all can relate to the idea of being in a relationship and not understanding the consequences, what we can learn from her is how to be strong and independent within those relationships and use them to our advantage and never give up who we are, never give up our principles, and even in the hardest times, finding the good in people. And she's such an idealistic character Even despite all of the hardship she grows in her life, it's a very motivational thing to see. And her political prowess and ability to always look for the moral correct thing to do is so inspiring and can be applied to so many different areas of our life, especially now in a world where there's constant divisiveness and not understanding the other side, capturing so many different ideas. Padme really shows us that You can look at both sides, look at the gray area, find the good in people that you wouldn't normally find the good in or you shouldn't find the good in. It can be a little questionable at the end, but having that hope and having that love is what should drive human beings. And I think that's what makes Star Wars such a grounded story is it's grounded in these human emotions and human experiences. And Padme just perfectly captures that. So I hope you liked today's episode, a deep dive into Padme Amidala's life, goals, motivations, and history. Next week, we'll be kicking off the Rediscovery series, so stick with us. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.